this whole series, um, we've been dedicating it to a passage of Scripture that was originally written by a guy named Paul uh, to churches in and around the area of a city called Galatia, okay? Just to kind of set the stage if you are just joining with us for the first time. Uh, specifically, we've been looking at Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 23. And uh, actually what I'll do is, uh, because of the plans I have for today, I'm just going to go ahead and invite you to open up your Bible to uh, Galatians chapter 5, whatever copy of the Bible you have, either in your app, if you, if you like old school and you don't have, and have your Bible with you, we, we should have some Bibles in the chairs in front of you. And so just join with us today. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 5. This is our last week, at least in this go-around, looking at Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 23. And uh, the reason why we're spending time in this chapter is because all of us, all of us, and you don't have to be someone who believes everything you've heard about Jesus in the Bible, all of us, at least, I, I, would, I would like to assume, all of us believe that it would be a healthy, a good thing to grow in this idea of love. Now, if you're the kind of person that says, like, no, I'm pretty good. I'm a pretty good, I'm a pretty loving person. In fact, I'm the most loving person I know, Okay. Um, well, then, let me at least say this. I think at a basic level, all of us agree that it's a good thing that we are loved better and better by the people around us. I mean, think about it. Think about, uh, for some of you, what, what, it, what would life look like for you if your father grew in love towards you as he got older and older, as you got older and older? Maybe you wouldn't feel so disconnected. Maybe think about your mother. She grew in love and grew in the kind of love that is described by the fruits of the Spirit. Maybe you won't be so bitter towards her. Maybe she wouldn't feel so bitter towards you. You think about your friendships. And, and, and we, as we think about, I mean, these relationships are real, right? And at the end of the day, nobody likes to be in a situation where there's a lack of true love. And so... This is why we spent this series, because I think it's really important, because at the end of the day, especially with the climate that we're in, and, and, and I, I, I'm starting to live long enough, okay, so those of you who are older, uh, every generation says this, right? Every generation, like, oh, look at, look at the culture, and you know, everything is bad. It's always been bad. I just want to let you know. Like, it's always been bad. And in fact, you read the scripture. But here's the thing. Because it's bad, we need Jesus, and we need to grow in love. And so that's what we've been trying to spend these last seven weeks taking a look at. And if you're like me, you would agree that growing in love is something that's good. And that it's something we have been spending the last, really, two months about. And so each week we've been looking at how the scripture informs us and how not only God demonstrate his love towards us. That's how we started this on Easter Sunday. Um, but how we also looked at how God desires to produce in us the kind of love that we, and this is really important, that we on our own that on our own could never reproduce in a way that was authentically a constant part of our life. I think you can agree with that. On our own, we could not do that. And so today we're going to be talking, we're going to finish this out, and I skipped this idea of faithfulness, and we're going to be talking about that today. And so if you're ready, uh, let's just start by reading our passage, and then we'll dive into the final part of this series. Are you ready? Thanks. Thanks, Larry. I appreciate it. <laughs> Everyone else is like, no. Okay, just. All right, here we go. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 through 23 says this. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. 
And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very, very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit. Will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. So if you've been with us, uh, you know that in this passage we've been looking at, Paul says that as we continue to grow in love, this fruit of the Spirit, it expresses itself in many different ways, through joy, through peace, through patience. Because it's not just enough to say, I have love. If you can't tell me how that looks. We all know people who say, I love you. And you're like, shh. <laughs> whatever. No, no, I love you. Like from right here, right there. And you're like, but it doesn't look like joy, like peace. And you don't even have to be a Christian to have your soul be bothered by a love that looks anything less than like this because that's how you were created. In fact, I talk to people who are not followers of Christ about this kind of love and they're like, yeah, that sounds really good. Why? Because, and this is, this is audacious for me to say, and this offends you, I'm sorry, but that's how you were created. You were wired to experience and desire God's love that looks like joy, peace, patience, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, temperance. Against such there's no law, okay? And today we're going to be talking about how faithfulness in our lives is produced by God's Spirit. And the Apostle Paul writes that, the, that following the Holy Spirit will help us to remain faithful to the love of Jesus. Now, uh, before we kind of really dive into anything practical, I think it's just helpful for us to define what is faithfulness. Like, what does it mean to be faithful? What is, what is faith? And so we'll start with faith. And faith is a blonde-haired girl that's sitting in the back, in the middle. How you doing? It's good to see you. She's not sick anymore. Um, but faith is also, and this is for the purposes of our talk, uh, according to the scripture, faith is an action based on relationship. Okay? So faith is an action based on, based on relationship. I think that our temptation when it comes to the idea of faith and faithfulness is to buy into the notion that faith is a mental acknowledgement of an idea. If I say I believe something, that must be faith right? But there's a huge difference between belief and faith. Some of you uh, are, who, are, who are Bible nerds remember Jesus even saying, even the demons believe, right? So there's, 
but they're not going to heaven last time I checked. I'm pretty sure Satan's uh, doctrine of theology on the person and the work of God is spot on. <laughs> he knows the character of God and he knows to a T, but I'm pretty sure he's not going to be among those who at the end of time will bow before the Lord and say, holy, holy is the Lord. Well, actually he will, but it won't be on his own accord. <laughs> He'll have to look at it and go, okay, you're right. You are God. This is because biblical faith is not mental acknowledgement. Okay? It's not mental acknowledgement. It's not going, okay, all right. It, it's a commitment to a course of action that is predicated on a trusting relationship. Think about it like this. When Leona and I uh, got married, I did not have a level of certainty about the future. What I had when we got married was a reasonable level of trust based on what I knew about her at the time. I didn't have certainty, but I knew enough to commit to a course of action. And Leona, she had <laughs> even less certainty. <laughs> I mean, saying I do to me was a much bigger leap of faith for her, believe you me. So I moved forward and I made a commitment to Leona, not because I had faith in the institution of marriage, but because I had faith in her. I, I didn't have certainty, and I, I still don't really, when you think about it, logically, I don't have certainty, but I have, over 15 years, a, built a reasonable level of trust on what I've learned about her. When it comes to following Jesus, we don't necessarily put our faith in a set of doctrines. Doctrines are important. Don't get me wrong. As uh, C.S. Lewis said, just because you don't know theology doesn't mean you don't know God. It just means you might have a, long, a lot of wrong ideas about God, but <laughs> nonetheless, it doesn't mean you don't know God. Doctrine's important. But listen, our faith is not in a set of doctrines. We put our faith in the person of Jesus. Following Jesus is not a religion based on the certainty of beliefs and doctrines. It is a relationship based on the trust of a person of Jesus. This is what the writer of Hebrews was trying to communicate in Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Just like my marriage, I have a picture of the future in my mind's eye, things Hope for grandkids, retirement, going back to Hawaii someday, right? And, you know, I mean, these are the things that I hope for, that my son will mow the lawn on his own without my help in straight lines, for goodness sake. Yeah, good luck, I know. But these are things I hope for. And listen, I live every day, and I know you do too, in such a way that you're pushing towards that direction, right? But faith, according to the teaching of Jesus and the disciples, says this. It says this. I don't know what the future holds. It starts there. 
And I can never be certain about anything. But based on everything I know about the person of Jesus and what has been promised, I will commit to following him and obeying him because I trust what he says will one day come true. And here is the promise that is given to us. Ephesians 1, 9-10 says, God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his, his, it's about his, by the way, own good plan. And this is the plan at the right time he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. And if you are a follower of Christ, that is good news. Everything on earth, the brokenness, the sin, the, the, when you look at the news and your heart just goes, God. When you look at the relationships, and I was just hanging out with, uh, we were hanging out with some friends, and they're talking about their friends who got divorced, and, and just hearing about it, and just there's a breaks your heart, and you're just going, God, why is it like this? One day, everything in heaven and on earth are going to be brought under the lordship of Jesus Christ, and love will be the rule, and there will be no pain, there will be no suffering, there will be no tears, and Jesus Christ will rule and reign, and that's good news. That's good news. That's good news. And if you're a follower of Christ, this is a picture of anticipation that we are living for. There is coming a time when everything will be united under the loving lordship of Jesus. And everything will be in harmony with the love of God for all time. Death will give way to life. Violence will give way to peace. Hatred will give way to love. Discord will give way to harmony. And the common denominator of everything will be the love of Jesus. That's good news. And so faithfulness says this. God is faithful so we can trust him. God is faithful so I can trust him. One of the things that we discover throughout the story of what is the scripture is a pattern of promise and fulfillment and promise and fulfillment and promise and fulfillment and God didn't have to do that. <laughs> in fact, one of the constant themes of the scriptures is God makes a promise and makes a covenant with the people and they don't deliver on their side of the bargain. And God goes, okay, let's make a new one. Oh wait, it's the same one that I made. I'll rescue you again. And this is God who's always faithful, always faithful, in spite of the fact that sin and, the way, and, our, and our own choice and our brokenness brings us reality into our life. And God didn't have to be faithful, but he constantly says, here's what I'm going to do. And then he does it. And then when he actually does exactly what he says he will do, we understand that God can be trusted. This is faithfulness. Which is interesting because in the very beginning, what originally broke relationship between God and man was a lack of trust. It wasn't just man disobeying God. It was that mankind decided that God was holding something back that they deserved. And so, therefore, when someone holds back on something from you that you deserve, you don't trust 
those kind of people, do you? And God, since the fall, has been reworking this whole trusting over and over again. And God's desire is to draw you and I into a relationship that is built on trust. Not certainty of the future, but trust in who God is. As 2 Timothy says, this is a trustworthy saying. If we die with him, we will also live with him. If we endure hardship, he will, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are unfaithful, here's the turn, here's the plot twist. He remains faithful. Oh, the overwhelming, reckless love of God. Gosh, I couldn't stop crying this morning. Oh, the overwhelming love of God. Even when I am not faithful, he is, what? Faithful. For he cannot deny who he is. (laughs) To be faithful is the nature of God. Even when we're not faithful, God is faithful. And how do we know that God will be faithful? How can we be sure that God can be trusted to be faithful to us? How do we know? You, you could, it, it's cool. You could, how do we know that God can be trusted? Some of you. Huh? But how, how? What is the greatest display of God's faithfulness? Send his son. And we get a glimpse of God's faithfulness best through Jesus. We get a glimpse of God's faithfulness best through Jesus. As you read through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, you see that God's unwavering and steadfast faithfulness and love towards us is really driven home through the person of Jesus so much that God can come to us in human form and we can reject him and we can beat him and we can crucify him and we can deny him and we can desert him. And he comes back from the dead and says, I forgive you. Can we still have a go at this? I'm hunting you down with faithful and with what some would even call reckless love. And I want to pursue a relationship with you where I am God and you are not. I am your father and you are my child. And it's not just a thing of power, but know that you have an inheritance and you are even co-heirs with Christ. That's good news, folks. It's good news. That's why in Hebrews it says, Long ago God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors, to the prophets, and now in these final days he has spoken to us through his Son. God promised everything to the Son as an inheritance, and through the Son he created the universe. The Son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God and sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. And when he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. Colossians 1.15 says this, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. And John 14.9 says this, anyone who has seen, this is Jesus saying, Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. You want to know who God is? Look at Jesus. We know God is faithful. And we know that God can be trusted because Jesus 
fully expresses the character of God. And Jesus was faithful, even in the face of death. So that's the definition of faithfulness. As passionately as I could preach it. (laughs) That is faithfulness. And that is the measure by which we can even compare ourselves. And the desire to help us continually lean into learning to increasingly submit all of life to Christ, to move into the thing that God wants to produce in us. I admit, I sometimes, for those of you who call Clarity your home, who you consider me your pastor, I, I will readily admit this. I sometimes don't get the opportunity to stop and recognize what it is that God has already produced through us. Sometimes I'm so forward focused and I talk about like, God wants to, and he should, and you should be, and you're not doing enough, and you're sinful, and we got it. And so, and then some people, some people like that, and that's, that's cool, I guess that's why you stick around. But every once in a while, I think it's a good thing to stop and go, how has God been faithful? For instance, faithfulness is required. A faithfulness that comes from God is required. A faithfulness... It requires faithfulness that comes from God's Spirit working in and through God's people to come alongside a person you don't know who says, hey, wouldn't it be great to start a church that nobody knows and then make a commitment to be a people who create places where those disconnected from God can find clarity in who Christ is. It takes a faithfulness from God's spirit. It takes a woman full of faithfulness that comes from God to join her husband in this new venture and to let go of friendships that she's already built at a church home that she loves and then to let go of the security of a promised regularly pay, regular paycheck. And I want to thank you, Leo, and I know, I know you're not here, but I want to thank my wife I want to thank God's faithfulness through her and recognize that. It takes God's spirit producing faithfulness inside of someone that we all know. We saw up here last week with her and her husband and her her daughter and the new daughter, Amy. Some of you know Amy. The time we met her, it takes faithfulness for a single mom to come up to a guy she didn't even really know and say, I get a sense that God is telling me to go and help, and I don't know why. It takes the faithfulness, the spirit of God inside of her, not knowing anything about what church planning entails, to say, I'm in. It takes the faithfulness of God to move the heart of a single young lady who just lost her mother to cancer, and it was one of the hardest times of her life to come and be one of our first leaders and to help establish the culture of hospitality, hospitality that many of you experience when you first walk into this room. And Jenny, I don't know where you are. I can't see you. You're here. Thank you for displaying God's faithfulness through your life. It was definitely the faithfulness of God working in the heart of a guy who initially, when I asked him if he wanted to help, said no, uh, wasn't interested. And, uh, you know, I was like, hey, you want to help us start this new church called Clarity? He's like, that's a dumb name. All right, okay, cool. But then here's what happened. God spoke through him of all things through a logo. And he called me and he said, I just saw the logo on your new website. And I think God's calling Shannon and I and our family to come and help you start this thing. Is that okay? I know I said no. 
And Ron and Shannon have become one of the early core group of leaders who have faithfully, week in and week out, have been there. They're not here today, so, but, uh, but they're, they've been faithful. It's the faithfulness of God working through couples like Seth and Aaron. Seth ran sound back there. Aaron's back there with him. Who, even though geographically they've never, ever been super close to where our regular Sundays gather, they have remained faithful since even before day one to continually help us create environments where the love of Christ and the gospel has been made clear. Thank you, thank you for your faithfulness, guys. It's the faithfulness of God in all the people who are part of our initial launch team. In fact, I found this tweet. Uh, do you have that tweet up there? I found it. It was in my inbox. Uh, time hot. Yesterday, five years ago to the day, Mike Test at Grace Fellowship, going to share some vision today. Five years and one day to the day, I sat, I, I stood, and there was people by the name of Gary and Debbie Cartagena, Chris and Krista Geiser, and then there was um, uh, that, that, that sat and the Dan and Ann Tolson, and they, and they heard this, this, this pitch of this new church. And they said yes. They said yes. It's the faithfulness of people like Chris and Ann Olson who, who were there at the beginning. I remember sitting at the park and we're talking about this and, and then seeing the tears in, in Ann's eyes going, I don't know what it is about this, but I think God's calling us to this. And I'm like, oh man, you're crying. I haven't even cried about this yet. I think you love this more than I do. It's the unwavering faithfulness to continue to not only be part of our launch team, but to host small groups when it was just her sometimes and a few other people, Jesse Pierce and Laura Harris and the Cove, as we called it. I want to thank you for your faithfulness. It's even the faithfulness of God and the people who were unofficially part of our launch team, but due to contextual agreements I made with the church I was formerly on staff with, I had to figure out a way to get them involved, and so I asked them, hey, would you watch our kids? And so people like Leanne Harris and Jackie Pierce I want to thank you for unofficially being part of us since the very beginning. And I could go on and on. There's people like Josh Hansen, who's going to be grilling today, so if the burgers are bad, blame him. <laughs> he was early on, an early worship leader. Man, when we needed it so bad. And Dar Darcy, well, at the time, Darcy Blackford. Now she's Darcy Kahn. And then there's all these, I mean, there's so many people I can mention. There's so many people I can mention. And then, like the, the uh, oh, it's so funny. I look here and I see, I see um, uh, Tom and Lori. And I met Lori's mom at a place called Aiken, Glory Baptist Church in Aiken. And I met her mom. She was about this tall. <laughs> oh, I, my daughter's going to love you. And I'm like, probably not. And, uh. And she did. And now we're stuck with her. We even tried to move away from Plymouth. And she still followed us. You know? And she's been with us. These people. And there's other people, even within our first year, like Kathy Packard and her son Colin. I mean, as I look around me, I just I can't see enough of the faithfulness of God. And Josh Sells, who was with us, and then he kind of left, and then he was back again. And I mean, this, this crazy, like, story of faithfulness, and then, and then I had to work because we didn't have enough money to pay my salary, and then I met someone named Michelle Reveling, who I actually met the first time when we were doing the church plant thing, because she was part of the church that helped send us, and she's like, oh my goodness, I see you. This is, God's faithfulness has been so good. We are here today because of the faith. If you are wondering if people are faithful to God, it's happening, and I am more than excited to put some hope 
not in the people, but in the kind of God who works through submitted people that are willing to obey and see what God can do. Why? Because I serve a great God. And really, it's God's faithfulness through many people who have gone through just attending sometimes our gatherings and liking our mission to making the reality that we can gather possible by joining us on mission through their service and giving and prayer and commitment and allowing God to produce faithfulness in them as displayed in their local church. It's also the countless number of people who have financially given to the work of this ministry. It's because of many people's faithfulness that I have not, that I have, that I have, that I have really, honestly, there's only been a few months in the five years of our church where I have not been able to take a salary. And that's not like to put any, like, that's a great thing. If you understand the, the realities of church planting and creating a, a church where it's self-sufficient. Like, you guys know we're not supported by anybody. It's you. You're the church. We don't have, like, this arm that's helping us out and, like, oh, they're struggling. Let's help them. It's your faithfulness and your generosity that makes this possible. And listen, if you're looking for a reason to give, and this is, I'm not even going to go into, like, the whole spiritual theological reason, but if you're looking for an opportunity and a reason why to be generous, okay? We're not even talking about tithing. I'm just talking about generosity. It makes all the difference when you give, when you give to your local church. And I want to thank you for doing that. It's the faithfulness of God that also makes a guy who was previously working vocationally in ministry to say yes to my offer of only treasures in heaven as compensation. And the opportunity to be a part of a church that wholeheartedly believed in committing their life and leaning into life as family together on mission with God. Maybe you don't know who this is, but uh, here's a little short video we made to just remind you. Show the video. Uh, now, what are you looking forward to, Jared? I am looking forward to hanging out with y'all. Hey everybody, we're going snow tubing tomorrow, real excited, I'm here at Elm Creek right now, and there's still snow, so come join us! Jared, would you come on up? Jared, Jared, where you at? Come here. 
Have a seat. Um, it takes the faithfulness of God through you to commit to putting in the kind of work that larger churches pay for. I know that, and I, and I admit that through the whole process. And, um, and you did it for monetarily nothing. And it also takes the faithfulness of God working through someone to recognize when their current season of ministry must give way to a new season of ministry. And uh, if you did not already know, uh, today we're officially announcing uh, that Jared has stepped down as a uh, staff member with Clarity. And so uh, what, I, what I wanted to do is I actually wanted to give Jared a chance to, uh, I just want to ask Jared a couple questions. And, and so, so Jared, what is going on? Like for, maybe for those who are hearing this for the first time, what is, what's going on? What's going on? Um, good video. I was like, wow. Well, let's see. Okay, so as Phil just said, we didn't script this. So no, this that's okay. Be, I know. This sucks. Like, <laughs> just, youth, youth pastor says the word sucks. So that's cool. right. Yeah, sir. Yeah. We're one of those edgy churches. Yes. Um, well, last fall, I, um, so I've been a senior in college for like, seven years, and because I've been kind of like, whatever, it doesn't matter that much. Um, I was, my perspective when I was in my early 20s was like, I need to do ministry now because Jesus could come back anytime, and there's people in my life now that need to hear about this, so I, why, would I, why would I take my priority off of helping make disciples of people around me when, instead of, instead of doing um, school. Why would, I, why would I not do this rather than school? Like I was, and I was arrogant enough to think I could like do ministry intensely and school intensely at the same time and work full time. Stupid. Um, Amen. Yeah. I'll try to do everything. Bad idea. But, and so for the last few years I've been kind of like putting it off, putting it off, and I was talking to somebody on a date last fall and, and they were asking me why I'm not done yet. Like, I'm, they were really surprised. They're like, you're a smart guy. Why are you not finished with your degree yet? And I was like, well, you don't understand. Like, there's this thing, and I can't. And she was asking me all kinds of stuff about, well, what if you, what if you work less? What if you do this? What if you, do, what, if you, what if you didn't work as a youth pastor? And I was like, that's a non-negotiable. And she said, why? And I was, hadn't thought about that for a while. <laughs> and so then I went home and decided that I was going to take off the summer to work on school stuff. It's been five years since I've been doing vocational ministry, and I haven't really taken a break, even between churches. I, like, I quit one week, and then I was here the next week after that. And I think he even asked me at the time, like, do you want to take any time off? And I was like, no, why, why, why wait? Um, so, and then I ended up getting engaged to that girl. And now we're going to get married this summer. And yeah. So... So what was initially going to be a, a sabbatical, like I take some time off and then I come back and continue to do the same thing. Apparently, when you're getting married, your life changes, and <laughs> thus your priorities <laughs> should probably change too. So in, in taking inventory of our, of our priorities and, and my priorities, I made the decision that, well... Maybe I don't have room for the status quo in the new season. And so what I'm going to be doing over the next few months is kind of taking a – I'm not going to – I'm going to be around, but I'm not going to be here like 
every single week at the same time. I'm always here. And you don't get to, like, say, hey, get to work. Not that anybody here says that anyways. Because um, I'm, I'm just going to be, like, not working as hard. Um, <laughs> and focusing on school and focusing on trying to discern what God might have for me and my to-be wife in our next season. Love you too, Ben. So one of the commitments uh, I made even before we decided to play at this church because of my past experience, I'd been part of many different churches, different denominations, uh, seen how transition in ministry happened, uh, not, you know, not just in a former church setting, but in all of the church settings that I've been a part of, even the churches that I grew up in, okay, from Assemblies of God to Calvary Chapels to Pentecostals, to Brethren churches. To, I mean, so I've been part of it. I've seen these things. And one of the commitments I made, as much as was in, under my control, is that I, I made a commitment that I would lead our church and make sure our church uh, handled transitions in ministry uh, in ways that looked more like family and less like corporate America. And uh, just like many of us who will be celebrating open houses here soon, right? And some of you already did. Um, and I couldn't make it. Sorry, Alex. I don't know. He, he's not here, but yes, I see his sister. Uh, today, our luncheon is an open house for Jared. And I hope you celebrate with us. It's, it's time for us to get together, but this is really, this is why I bought good burgers. <laughs> right? Right? You know, Jesus bought the better wine. So, and I would have brought it, but it's a school property, so whatever. <laughs> Can't do that. Uh, cops don't like that. After party. <laughs> After party. <laughs> Who's hosting? All right, okay. Uh, but to celebrate and encourage this time, this is what we're going to do this week, uh, to, this week. But also, uh, before we break to go and eat, uh, just like we do for our seniors who are graduating high school, um, I want to end our time here together uh, by taking time to pray, not only just for you, but where's Jenna? Jenna here? Jenna here? Jenna, would you come forward? Here, sit here. And here's what I want to invite you to do. If you, if you have been impacted by Jared, uh, and I, I want to invite you to come. We're going to pray over Jared and Jenna. We're going to bless them. And uh, uh, if, if, so I just, again, this is totally unscripted. I didn't ask anyone. So what it usually takes, if you feel like you want to come up, it'll take one person to come up, and the rest will come. So who's going to be brave? I just need, I just need one person. See, there you go. So that's how it happens. And then, and then for the rest of you just sitting there, this is, this is, we're doing a family thing here. So forgive us. If this feels awkward, but Jared, we want to bless you. Jenna, because you're, you're part of the package now, and uh, you, get, you get part of the, the uh, all that entails, both blessings and curses, I guess. Um, but we want to bless you today because we love you, and uh, we're so grateful for you. And you need to know that uh, this is a good thing, that you're marrying this guy, and that it's causing, because <laughs> nobody else will. No, no, no. But... We're, we're so glad. It's a good thing. And uh, um, whatever happens in life because of this, it's a good thing. And God is going to remain faithful to you. So could we, would you join me in prayer? Father, I thank you for Jared uh, and his faithfulness and the character that you've built in him through uh, even the hard times. I know it was, there were hard times and it felt like it would just be easier to quit and to give up 
But because of his faithfulness, we can look back and see the lives that now understand the gospel more clearly. And for that, we're incredibly grateful. We're thankful for Jenna that you've brought this wonderful gift into Jared's life that just like your salvation, he does not deserve. And <laughs> we pray that he lives every day understanding that and he treats her with the kind of love and respect and submission that uh, Christ would show this church. And I, and I pray the same for her, that you'd bless their life together as they move into this next season. And I pray today would be a great celebration of how you move us into the areas and the seasons of our lives that you have destined for us, and we can have faith about it, even if it's uncertain, because you are a faithful God. We love you and we thank you for Jared and Jenna. Bless them in your name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.